The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order. Let's gavel in for this week's State House Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the State House News Service. Here's Sam Doran. And another week flies by. Welcome back to the State House Takeout here on this Friday afternoon up on Beacon Hill with Colin Young, Katie Lannon, Matt Murphy, who was just a birthday boy the other day. Happy birthday. So, Colin, uh, let's start off with something that you've been following for months and months, uh, the Win or now Encore uh, Boston Harbor Casino up in Everett. They are moving forward with their planned opening in June after the Gaming Commission gave them a go-ahead with some $35 million caveats and, and, and other things. Uh, but the legislature, that means, can still count on those tens of millions of dollars in new revenues that they've been working with those in mind for their fiscal 2020 budget. Um, what other penalties and conditions did Wynn Resorts have for moving forward? Well, Sam, you mentioned the big one, the $35 million fine on the company Wynn Resorts. Um, aside from that, the Gaming Commission also imposed a uh, other conditions, like, for instance, uh, having an independent monitor who will be chosen by the Gaming Commission but paid for by Wynn Resorts to act as sort of a go-between between the regulators and the company. And that monitor is supposed to report back to the Gaming Commission on the company's progress towards um, re- making the changes stick, the changes that the company's made in the last year-plus since the allegations against founder Steve Wynn came out and since Steve Wynn left the company. Uh, the Gaming Commission says that this independent monitor is crucial because uh, they're, they're sort of buying the company's argument that it's a new company now. The executives who were aware of these issues with Steve Wynn have, uh, have departed in one way or another. Uh, but the commission really wants to see that, the, that, they, um, that the company is taking this seriously and that its changes are going to actually stick. But how did the new CEO, uh, Matt Maddox, come out of this looking? The Gaming Commission threw a little shade at him. Yeah, exactly. The big asterisk to the commission's buying the argument that it's a new company is Matt Maddox, who's now CEO. Uh, Maddox had worked for Wynn Resort since the company was founded in 2002. He was Steve Wynn's hand-picked successor. He was the best man in one of Steve Wynn's weddings. <laughs> uh, so he has a lot of ties to Steve Wynn personally and to all of the Steve Wynn years at the company. Uh, so Matt Maddox was determined to be suitable Although that was not a unanimous decision of the five commissioners, they won't break down the vote. But uh, we know that there were at least some commissioners who thought Maddox is not suitable to be running a casino company in Massachusetts. But Maddox was slapped with his own fine of $500,000 and has to undergo executive training uh, to improve his communication, uh, his understanding of the requirements uh, for reporting things to regulators uh, and that sort of thing. Want to note too, the commission in its ruling pointed out that the issues with Maddox could lead to issues with the Everett Casino. Generally, the commission said that it is highly likely that Encore Boston Harbor will be a successful enterprise there in Everett due in part to Wynn Resorts' overall financial stability. Uh, But the concerns that they raised with Maddox, the commission wrote, uh, in its report, quote, such lack of diligence and judgment 
could lead to an inability of the company to successfully maintain the gaming establishment in Everett. So essentially, they're going to be keeping an eye on Matt Maddox. Sure, sure. Now, as far as the commission's rationale in allowing Wynn Resorts to move forward, it almost sounded like a sort of utilitarian approach um, where it was in the best overall interest of the state. Yeah, that's what the commission said, that it's now in the best interest of the state to move forward and to allow Wynn Resorts to set up shop and become a successful operator. You mentioned the uh, tax revenue the state is uh, expecting. Some of that is baked into the budgets already presented by the governor and the House. Opening is still set for June 23rd? That is the plan, although uh, it's that date should probably be penciled in rather than etched in stone. Uh, for now, there are a number of things that could uh, move that, and we're going to hear about a bunch of them next week on Monday. The Gaming Commission is meeting, and rather than talking about lawsuits and investigations, they're going to be talking about the construction timeline, uh, traffic plans for the Everett Casino, and really the nitty-gritty details that uh, need to get ironed out before it can open. And have we heard from Wynn this week? They they chimed in with some information about their projected visitor numbers. Uh, well, we heard from them this week that they're looking forward to a successful opening. Haven't heard um, exactly whether they have or plan to pay that $35 million or fine or appeal it. Um, but right, the company is expecting 8 million visitors a year uh, to visit its Everett property, which cost $2.6 billion for them to develop. Thanks, Colin. Uh, speaking of large amounts of money, uh, student debt has been a big topic up here on Beacon Hill recent years. And we heard this week from the sponsors of some bills that would seek to freeze tuition in, in state universities and, and hold down student costs. Uh, Katie, you were down there at that hearing, and, and one of the senators who's behind these proposals actually has UMass Amherst in her district. That's right, yeah. Um Senator Joe Comerford uh, is leading this charge on the Senate side, and she she represents the uh, UMass Amherst area. And as you mentioned, the the issue of college cost has been a big topic here, and I think it'll, you know, we heard from UMass President Marty Meehan that he's expecting it to be a big topic in the upcoming 2020 elections as well. So I don't think this is just a just a Beacon Hill conversation, but it is uh, heating up here. And certainly we heard a, a lot of uh, powerful testimony at a, at a hearing this week. Now, the governor and his budget proposal uh, stepped up funding for the UMass system. Uh, did folks seem satisfied with that increase or, or how much more do they want? So it is it's a it's a pretty substantial increase. Um and in one of the wonders of Beacon Hill, um, what percentage of an increase it is depends on who you ask. Hmm. Uh, the governor, I think, refers to it as a as a five percent increase. And Marty Meehan at UMass says, "Well, he funded collective bargaining, which is huge for us and very important, and then did a one percent increase on top of that." So depending on how you frame it, but either way, it gets the, the university system to about $558 million. They're looking for about $568 million and have almost a, an ultimatum attached to that. If they get that full funding, um, perhaps the Senate could include it when they dive into their budget later this month. Mm. They'll, they'll be able to hold uh, in-state undergraduate tuition rates. And that the House and the governor didn't get them quite there. Sure. With the Senate budget, Senate Ways and Means budget being released next week and senators filing amendments to that budget uh, next week as well. Sure. And there's um, there's it looks like, you know, a substantial interest in the Senate and actually in both branches on doing something to address college costs um, that that Joe Comerford bill we mentioned earlier that's filed by uh 
Paul Mark and Sean Garbley in the mm-hmm. house aims to to pour really uh, I think 500 million into public higher education um, restoring it to 2001 levels that have uh, dwindled over time and that bill interestingly it the house version of that bill has more than 100 co-sponsors it's there's a lot of legislative support for it um, the chairs of the higher education committee are are both co-sponsors and when they were testifying on support of that bill uh, the senate chair and goby told them they're among friends but at hmm. the same time this push comes as there's also really a a groundswell to do K to 12 education funding reform this this session and right. pour in additional money there and like anything else it's a it's a question of where you put limited resources sure, sure. and how much to to bite off at once and you mentioned UMass president Marty Meehan it was interesting to hear some of the stories at that hearing from different alumni of the system and and he was one of them having gone to UMass Lowell and uh, he talked about how he tried to pay his way through through college. Yeah, and um, being, while not a UMass Lowell alum and alum of the Lowell Sun newspaper myself, I can, uh, and I think Matt would probably vouch for this, I've, I've heard several times how uh, Marty Meehan worked his way through college with a series of night weekend and summer jobs. I've heard that story before. <laughs> it's, um, it's a popular point of his that uh, he, including a, a job at the Sun, which was part of what the connection really? was there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that that's a point he makes often that you used to be able to do that. His tuition at the time was six hundred dollars. So mm-hmm. he was able to kind of cobble that together. A lot of people who testified said that the, the opportunities available to their parents generation weren't available to them as current college students to kind of work your way through and, and support yourself in college without incurring those high levels of debt. So Mian said that uh, we're going to try to keep increases around the rate of inflation moving forward. Um, so at some point since his era at UMass Lowell, tuition took off a little bit there. Absolutely, yeah. And he's uh, suggested maybe uh, if there is a, a increase for tuition next year, it'll be around 2.5% in keeping with that inflation rate. Yeah, and Katie brought up the fact that Marty Mean was talking about the collective bargaining costs being fully funded too, which is interesting because this actually came up at a separate hearing uh, on uh, at the State House this week, uh, where uh, Vincent Padoni, a former uh, state legislator, and Repo Day were there uh, speaking on behalf of the other public universities and colleges, and kind of taking issue with the characterization that uh, Governor Baker and then the House, who adopted the governor's number, were fully funding collective bargaining contracts. And there's apparently a dispute. Uh, that stems back to the Patrick administration and uh, the 2009-2010 time frame when the state was coming out of the recession. And there was a change made to the way the state looks at collective bargaining contracts. And they now uh, basically fund what they call the state's share of these contracts instead of the full cost. And they're excluding people like adjunct faculty. And at least on the state university side, they're saying this is uh, leaving uh, campuses short about $7.1 million in fiscal 2020. And uh, if you think about those numbers, it's pretty close to the the $10.2 million that UMass would need uh, to... Uh, cover the uh, the tuition or, or avoid the tuition hike. So uh, it's something to watch going forward too with those those collective bargaining contracts. Yeah, and I'll just say we heard from um, Vinnie Pedoni at the at the higher ed hearing too, alongside another former rep, Tom Sanicandro, who is representing community colleges. And one of the things they pointed out in their testimony is that when there's you know when there's a shortfall, when there's a gap. Uh, public higher education institutions of all types have really two sources of revenue. One is money from the state and one is money from the students. 
Good point. Um, Matt, let's uh, let's go over to you and, and talk about the fact that there was some conflict this week between some state elected officials and the state's federal prosecutor uh, following U.S. Attorney Andrew Lelling's indictment last week of a judge from Newton, uh, Shelley Joseph, Shelley Richmond Joseph, um, who had helped a defendant escape ICE agents uh, at a courthouse. Uh, allegedly. Allegedly, allegedly. Um, Governor Baker was pretty firm on his position Monday, as has been everybody. Yeah, so obviously the, the follow-up from the Lelling a decision to seek a, an indictment against a sitting district court judge here in Massachusetts continued this week. And uh, Governor Baker basically said that uh, he doesn't think the decision to bring charges against Judge Joseph, who he uh, nominated, it should be noted, this is a Baker appointee to the court, uh, doesn't think that Lelling's decision was politically motivated. And that's what a lot of Democrats, including Congressman Kennedy, Attorney General Maura Healey, and others have been saying. And, and Lelling, of course, is a Trump appointee, and uh, the president uh, couldn't help but get involved later in the week in this kerfuffle. Although at the start of this week, then we had uh, two DAs, Marion Ryan and Rachel Rollins, file suit against ICE uh, for this sort of intrusion, they say, into their local courthouses. Right. That was the continuation. Uh, DAs Rollins of Suffolk County and Ryan in Middlesex County joined with some other uh, groups to file this lawsuit that would basically make it illegal for ICE to uh, lurk in these courtrooms and arrest anyone uh, in the courthouse for another reason as a defendant or coming or going uh, to the courts. And their argument, of course, is that uh, the presence of ICE and the fear uh, for not just defendants but witnesses to appear in court impacts their ability to prosecute local crimes. Uh, and this is uh, the long simmering debate between whether or not the local law enforcement should be leaned upon to enforce federal immigration laws. And President Trump weighed in this week, uh, although it wasn't clear if he had exactly heard of Rollins and Ryan before he was told about them in his Boston Herald Radio appearance. Yeah, Trump called into Boston Herald Radio, and uh, he didn't seem, it didn't, at least to, to my ear, didn't seem like he was fully aware of this lawsuit. But uh, when it was described to him, he, of course, jumped on it and said that obviously uh, people uh, like D.A. Rollins and D.A. Ryan, uh, quote, don't mind crime. Uh, that was his take. And he went on to talk about the dangerous uh, people who have been crossing the border that are members of MS-13 and other violent gangs. And uh, the, the DAs didn't take the bait with the president. They both declined to comment after uh, the president uh, kind of called them out on this. But uh, this is something that's not going away. And while the governor didn't really comment on the lawsuit from the district attorneys, he did call on the legislature to take another look at the state's policy for handling or working with ICE and handling detainer requests from ICE, which were kind of thrown up in the air last year by the Lund decision. Mm. Yeah, he had filed a bill last year. And has that been refiled this year? He has not refiled that yet, but it was certainly on the table. Uh, I don't believe I should say that he's refiled that this year, but uh, that was certainly on the table. He put forward uh, certain instances where local law enforcement could hold uh, people. And this was a response to the Supreme Judicial Court saying uh, that basically honoring uh, federal immigration detainer request without a uh, another reason to hold a defendant was a uh, uh, unlawful and unconstitutional here in Massachusetts and uh, that is basically just kind of sat there on the books as a gap 
now in the in the state uh, system. And the governor says that this is why we're seeing this spill over into courtrooms and why ICE is resorting to showing up in these courtrooms uh, to look for people on its list. Sure. After the last week, um, are federal and state tensions over immigration uh, rising? I think you would have to say yes, right? I mean, the governor is, does not really want to get drawn into a fight between Lelling and Trump and the DAs. Uh, but there are a number of Democrats who don't mind mixing it up with Lelling, uh, who, you know, is, a, is a, as we said before, a, a Trump appointee who has come down pretty hard on a state judge that people like Attorney General Maura Healey say should have been handled internally by the trial courts with a conduct review commission and not subject this uh, state judicial appointee uh, to a federal prosecution. All right. Thanks, guys. Happy birthday, Matthew Murphy. Have a good weekend, folks. Thanks, Sam. Happy birthday, Matt. Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.